Stampede! There's a growing attempt in this country to make living without distinctions. It's recently taken form in a political movement. I have disdain for those politicians, but disdain is too benign a word to describe the malignancy they're trying to sell to the general population. There are some politicians who believe this world would be better served without using personal pronouns like he or she. I don't know who those politicians are, but they should identify themselves. I'd like to know who they represent and what their reasoning is for fiddling with the use of an accepted practice in literature that has lasted well over 2,000 years. These people should be identified and exposed for who they are and what they stand for. I strongly believe they're people intimately involved with artificial intelligence. They believe AI 
is our future, promising to think for us. They believe AI is so sublime it can't involve a gender difference in thinking. In effect, they're saying living as a human being with certain biological sexual identity is destructive to our way of living. As I said, I have no use for politicians. They're slimy. And don't be offended when I say, I'm reminded of a politician when once I was walking in the woods and encountered a dead carcass of a rabbit being consumed by maggots. That's right. Every time I listen to a U.S. congressperson, the image of that dead rabbit being consumed by maggots flashes in my mind. I don't want to offend one of our distinguished legislators, but debating the high priority of removing the use of personal pronouns like his or her from written legislation makes me think they have no concept of being alive. I'm sure in making a law, the person that thought we don't need to identify a gender is someone who works all day in a room without windows, talking alone to computers, someone who has no sense of human interaction, whose only companion is a digital world, without ever having contact with the natural world. To be precise about this, there is a fundamental difference between men and women, and it's no exaggeration to say it's lasted as long as there has been life on this planet. have changed and we've often rewound the clock since the Puritans got a shock when they landed on Plymouth Rock if today any shock they should try to stem instead of landing on Something shocking now Heaven knows Anything goes Good authors too Who once knew better words Now only use four letter words Writing prose Anything goes The world has gone mad Just silly gigolos So though I'm not a great romancer I know that I'm bound to answer When you propose Anything goes 
I just silly gigolos. So though I'm not a great romancer, I know that I'm bound to answer when you Of course, spending taxpayer money for the U.S. government to prohibit a gender-specific piece of legislation might sound ridiculous considering the country has suffered with 350,000 people dead from COVID-19 in almost 11 months. And there's little hope it will end soon, even with vaccines rolling out at record speed. But that's not the least of what has happened. On the 6th of January, the U.S. Capitol was stormed by protesters demanding that some states audit their November 3rd election results. This is what I've been talking about for a long time. A revolutionary fervor is nothing new in history. Revolutions are a tricky business and should be considered with the greatest of importance. In the distant past, I did a show about the French Revolution, and one of its key figures, Robespierre. So even though the show was technically poor, I'm compelled to play it for you now. So here's Robespierre's French Revolution. Robespierre, a five-minute history. Maximilien Robespierre was born in 1758. He was to become a lawyer and a politician, a central figure in the French Revolution. He remains controversial for his role in the defense of the Republic and the reign of terror. The revolution profoundly altered the course of modern history. It unleashed a wave of global conflicts. Historians regard it as one of the most important events in human history. And in 1789, Robespierre stood at its inception. In the following years, he would be accused of employing murder to achieve his dreams of a French Republic. And yet, he was known to the people of France as the incorruptible, a man that vigorously fought for the principles of virtue during a time of chaos, turmoil, treachery, and deceit. France was near bankruptcy, an economic collapse, deeply in debt, and threatened by a war with Austria. And through it all, Robespierre was a defender of the poor, fighting for the rights of mankind and the end of slavery in the French colonies. He vehemently opposed the death penalty.
was a man who eventually lived in two worlds, a man who believed in a new order, a society free from the oppression of a privileged class, but in the end resorted to the execution of political allies and the killing of King Louis XVI. Robespierre was named as a member of the powerful Committee for Public Safety with his political ally George Danton, who was later to be executed on Robespierre's behest without trial. Upon defending his actions, Robespierre wrote, I will not remind you that the sole object is that we have defended all actions. For these things have been illegal, as illegal as the revolution, as the fall of the monarchy and of the Bastille, as illegal as liberty itself. Citizens, do you want a revolution without a revolution? The Committee of Public Safety was to institute terror which led to the wholesale execution of thousands without trial, a grotesque circus of death. In Robespierre's words, to punish the oppressor is clemency, to forgive is barbarity. And of virtue. Virtue without terror is destructive. Terror without which virtue is impotent, debating the fate of Louis XVI. As for myself, I abhor the death penalty, and for Louis I have nothing. I have neither love nor hate. I hate only his crimes. Neither prison or exile can render his existence inconsequential to the public happiness. With regret, I pronounce this fatal truth. Louis must die so that the nation may live. Louis was guillotined without trial in 1793, and a little after a year and a half, Robespierre was arrested and suffered the same fate. It was said he screamed incessantly until the blade silenced him. There are lessons to be learned by the French Revolution. It was propagated by excessiveness. That is to say, the ruling monarchy had conducted itself in ways that were beyond the lives of the common people. The government was bankrupt by fighting and financing a war with the Austrian Empire, and so they revolted against the corrupt practices of the government and they did so violently, exterminating a wealthy and privileged class. The French Revolution lasted for over 14 years. In this country, 
We believe a democracy can avoid the abuses of government by simply voting out politicians from office. But it's clear to many, the people who gain power in government tend to stay in power for a very long time, sometimes 40 or 50 years, and they retain their power by various means. For some major cities in this country, families have remained in power by practicing patronage. If a politician gains power, the first thing he or she does is to fill paid jobs to people who are loyal. It's called machine politics. In this way, they build their own voting block that guarantees their re-election. This process is sometimes akin to a living herd mentality. You appoint a councilman or councilwoman to City Hall, and he or she appoints a cousin to run the park district, and he or she appoints a son to run the paving of the city streets, and so on and so forth. And I might say, city contracts for the paving of streets is a very lucrative business. Was just one of those things. 
This should come to no surprise to anyone. A politician can hold on to power by a base of supporters, and that base comes from a web of favors. In some countries, it's been that way for centuries. Now, in this country, new means of staying in power require control of how information is fed to the public. No matter how corrupt a politician may be, if he or she can't reach into the fourth estate to influence standing with the people, his or her career is short-lived. And when I say fourth estate, I'm not talking about someone who's so wealthy he or she has four plush real estate holdings located in America or exclusive well-guarded palatial estates in foreign countries. No, I'm not talking about real estate. I'm talking about the fourth estate, the fourth pillar of a society. Prior to the French Revolution, in ancient times, there were three estates. The first estate was controlled by the clergy, the second was held by nobility, and the third belonged to the common people. But the fourth estate, the profession of journalism, writers, news organizations, and posters, along with all sorts of personalities, have made their way into our society. And today, if you want to be a successful politician, you need people in the fourth estate. It used to be a source of information, dominated by honest and respected individuals, devoted to letting the people know what their society considered important. Today, many journalists have become highly paid individuals talking about politics. But the question is, are they journalists? When someone is in a TV studio talking into a camera, he or she isn't alone. They're wired into their ears by people in control rooms, feeding them what and how to say in front of the camera. In many ways, they're talking puppets, and what they say is an attempt to persuade people to believe in a point of view. The long and short of it is, they're propagandists, designed to shape public opinion.
Life's what you make it. If gloom so and so should get you as he soon does, shout hi ho de ho and do just as the moon does. Rise and shine. Don't be a mourner. Things are fine around the corner. No harm in trying it. There's nothing to it. You can do it like the sunrise and shine. This week on Garner Isn't, the music you first heard was from Paul Whiteman and his orchestra, a 1930 recording, Choo Choo. Then you heard Ella Fitzgerald singing an arrangement of Anything Goes, composed by Cole Porter, a 1956 recording, followed by a recording of Robespierre, The French Revolution date unknown. Then you heard just one of those things, a Leslie Hutchinson rendition of the 1935 musical Jubilee. Hutchinson was a popular cabaret singer during the late 20s and 30s. Born in Granada, migrating to New York City, he began singing in 1924 and left for Paris and became popular as well in London, and was a close associate of Cole Porter. Next you heard Paul Whiteman, this time with Irene Taylor singing Rise and Shine, a 1933 recording, and then finally two cuts from Nat King Cole's 1964 recording Let's Face the Music, a 1936 song composed by Irving Berlin for the film Follow the Fleet. There may be trouble ahead But while there's moonlight and music and love and romance Let's face the music and dance Before the fiddlers have fled Before they ask us to pay the bill And while we still have the chance Let's face the music and dance Soon we'll be without the moon Humming a different tune And then There may be teardrops to shed So while there's moonlight and music And love and romance Let's face the music and dance 
Let's let's face the music and die. There may be teardrops to shed. So while there's moonlight and music and love and romance, let's face the music and dance. Let's face the music. Stampede, written and performed by Edward Garner in Morro Bay and Paso Robles, California.